You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. for tuning into the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is all about public service and what we are trying to do to serve the greater good in our respective communities. I'm proud to present to you two compelling segments featuring two very prominent people that are doing some very important work in their respective communities. Our very first segment features a woman by the name of Katrina Williams. She is the founder of Changing the Faces of Homelessness. She's a mental health case manager who's worked with the Regional Behavioral Health Authority under Value Options and Magellan Health Services for 15 years in Phoenix, Arizona. She recently relocated to Los Angeles and began working for Volunteers of America as a case manager for the Hope for Homes Shelter Program in Pomona, California. During her employment with VOA, one of her clients ended their life via suicide. With her client's sudden death, she realized the severity of the Los Angeles homeless crisis and developed the CFH, Changing the Faces of Homelessness, supportive housing program where she provides realistic resources such as employment, counseling, etc., to meet her residents' realistic goals with housing. In our second segment, we welcome Cedric Edmond, who serves as the senior advisor to the president and director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. Richmond served as the national co-chairman of the Biden-Harris campaign and the co-chair of the Biden-Harris transition team. Since 2011, Richmond has represented Louisiana's second congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. During his time in Congress, Richmond served on the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Committee on Homeland Security, and the House Committee on the Judiciary. He was the House Democrat Assistant to the Majority Whip, a member of the New Democratic Coalition, and Chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, and most recently, Chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. We are very proud to present this fantastic episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And by the way, the very first segment with Katrina Williams is hosted by yours truly. And our second segment featuring Mr. Cedric Richmond is hosted by Ryan. Enjoy. Tell us what you do at Changing Faces of Homelessness. Well, I am the CEO and I'm the founder. So I'm the person that developed the program. And what we do here, we provide permanent supportive housing and we house the homeless. So we go out, we do outreach. If we um, 
this, uh, run into clients who have no income or low income but has a mindset ready for change, we bring them into the program. And then what I do, Jamie, uh, and, and my staff, we empower them. We give them resources and tools. We help them with employment. If they need uh, assistance with getting GR and getting a poly voucher, that will help them with their room and board. We will assist them with that. And we press forward. And since we've been open, we've been open now almost a year, be a year in October, we have saw, have seen so much progression with our residents. I have a young lady right now that was applying for Social Security and was denied three times and came in and said, Ms. Katrina, you know, I'm ready to go back to work. I'm not even going to appeal the decision. And when I tell you, we referred her over to uh, Mr. Bobby Buck from Goodwill. She went out for the interview and she is working today. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to give people back their lives. We're here to help them take ownership back over their lives. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm curious to know, too, as far as the housing. Now, is this like, are these single family units? Are these apartments? What kind of homes are you providing for the homeless? So right now, um, Jamie, we're doing shared housing. Mm-hmm. So this particular home here on Cat- at Catalina <clears throat> is an adult home for individuals 18 and over. Um, and it's co-ed, but we have the women in, um, downstairs and the men upstairs. Okay. And, uh, how much of an impact does the homelessness crisis have on black and brown communities? Well, to be honest with you, it really has been a <clears throat> dramatic effect on on the minority community um, because we lost a lot of our low-income housing programs. One of the big ones is Section 8. You know, back in the 80s, um, when the cost of living started increasing, they opened up the Section 8 program and they gave the minorities, black and brown people, like us, they gave us vouchers. Mm -hmm. But in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, Section 8 became where it was closed, they had a long waiting list. Then they started pulling the program, actually started defunding the program. And then the cost of living went up, especially here in California. And now you have the majority of Skid Row, I wanna say 80% is people of color. Wow. Recently, the federal eviction moratorium was reinstated due to a large amount of pressure from Cori Bush and the progressive members of the Biden administration. First of all, was this enough? And what should the Biden administration be doing right now? You know, what should have happened was they should have had um, gave some power to the landlords, meaning that once the tenant had fell behind on the rent, let's say after 90 days, the landlord should have been the one applying for the funding, for the assistance, instead of putting that responsibility on the tenant. Mm-hmm. 
because you do have some bad tenants. You have tenants that don't pay rent. You have tenants that was in trouble before the pandemic. So now you have um, those tenants that wasn't paying rent before, not paying rent now. Landlords still can't can't get paid. We now have a a huge crisis with um, apartment units just sitting where we can't even utilize um, landlords to house the homeless or should I say house families because they can't evict anyone out of their units and they're skeptical now with even working with low income. Worrying about they're going to get paid, if if the unit is going to be cared for. So I feel that by the Biden administration should have made sure the landlords the landlords were paid so people wouldn't get evicted. Because now we're going to have a whole new wave of homelessness with working class people. Right. So what should they have done at this point as far as like, well, I mean, you told me what they should have done as far as it being put on the landlords as opposed to the tenants. But now they've extended the moratorium, I believe, until October. So, I mean, what what's next? What do you think uh, should have been done as far as this moratorium goes? Should they keep it going for longer than a few months? Should it be something that should be permanent until the COVID pandemic is over with? I mean, what what would you do if you were in that position to make that decision? The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. Rebellion Harvest is a Black-owned pistachio company that offers a new evolution of taste. They have flavors such as lemon pepper wet, badu sage, exotic mystery, and jalapeno. They've created a fun, refreshing, and unapologetic way for nut lovers to enjoy a light snack that is both flavorful and well within our culture. I have tried these amazing pistachios. I love lemon pepper wet. I pretty much annihilated an entire bag of these things. They're that good. And they make for a great snack while you're watching your favorite movie or TV show. And you don't really feel that guilty because these are healthy pistachio nuts that you're consuming. A great snack should never have to sacrifice flavor. Head over to rebellionharvest.com, use the promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS to get 10% off your order. Again, that's rebellionharvest.com, promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS to get 10% off your order. I believe it should be... I believe that we have to stop extending the program. We got to get back to some type of normalcy. Mm-hmm. But we can't afford to have people um, being evicted, young people, old people, and especially families on the streets. What needs to be done is that money needs to be ex- expedited out immediately, like right now. And they need to get that process going. And, you know, because every state now has... The, the power to make their own rules and, <clears throat> and regulations is hindering the the flow of the funding. So what I would do is I would set up an emergency um, act to get the monies out 
to the landlords. Landlords have to be paid so evictions won't be processed. So people can't even get back to work or if we go through another shutdown, they will have a home. They will not be homeless. They will have a home and they can stay in and be safe. But the money's got to get out to the people. Absolutely. As the pandemic continues to spread and variant forms of the virus continue to evolve, does the root of the problem seem to be more about, does this, does the root of the problem seem to be about people getting vaccinated or does the homeless crisis play a huge factor in the spread of COVID? You know, the homeless crisis was here before COVID. I believe the homeless crisis is making the COVID situation worse. The pandemic is making the homeless crisis worse because we have people that are unhoused. So when you have people that are unhoused, you cannot practice social distancing. People are not going to wear their masks. We have people out here on Skid Row, you know, that are mentally ill, that are symptomatic and don't even know about a mask. They have a mask on their face and believe that the mask is causing harm to them, causing harm, and they won't even wear the mask. We have to start meeting people at the barriers so we can start successfully housing people. Because we got to get people off the streets. It, it looks like this COVID is going to be mutating and it's going to be with us for a while. And if we do not start moving people off the streets, the virus is going to continue to mutate. When you sit when you when you go down Skid Row and you have literally tents just lined up against just just literally just pinned together, it's outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. And it it explains a lot about this your state, California. California is being hit really hard with COVID, um, and then there's also a really you know terrible homeless crisis in in California. So it it feels like there's a there's a dichotomy there that needs to be addressed. Um, what do you say to people? Because there's this huge criticism that I'm always hearing this narrative. What do you say to people that criticize the homeless who refuse, you know, there's people that are homeless that don't want to go to a shelter and they want to stay on the streets. So what do you say to those people that are like, well, they don't want to go to a shelter. They want to stay on the streets. So why should we help the homeless? What do you say to those critics? I think that people need to first stop stigmatizing homelessness. Mm -hmm. There is layers and barriers to homelessness. And I always tell people, you're one less paycheck or one life trauma away from mm. being homeless. We all at risk of homelessness. Right. We all are at risk of losing our jobs. We're all at we all at risk to a life trauma that we cannot deal with or cope with that may cause us to become to, to become depressed or to cause us to have a mental breakdown that causes not to be able to function and to manage our households and we end up on the streets. So the first thing we got to do is get rid of stigmatism because it's not about people just being out here and being on drugs and <clears throat> people being out here being on drugs and people out here being poor or not just wanting to help themselves. That's not true. You have families out here, Jamie, that's on the streets that are sleeping in cars because they can't afford the rent or lost their job. 
you have the elderly that has been pushed out to the streets because of the cost of living, because the senior living programs that used to cater to their income is now over their income. So they're paying $1,500 to $1,700 a month for a one-bedroom that's supposed to be senior living that they can't even afford. They don't even get that much on SSI or SSDI. Then you have the youth who is phasing out of foster care with no structure or no guidance on the streets. So there's different dynamics with different barriers that people need to understand that is out there. What can we do? Um, this is a two-part question. This is my final question. Um, what can we do to educate ourselves about the homelessness crisis? And what can we do to help in the meantime and learn about the work that you're doing and learn about how we can um, assist in any way, whether it's through activism or awareness? Well, the first thing is, um, this is really, this is, this is, a, this is like, it's the break this down. I always tell people that you got to get to know the, you got to hear the people's stories. You have to start listening to the people. What the public really don't understand is that the homeless population, they're broken because of their own life struggles, but they're also broken by the system. They get told things that they're going to happen. They're going to get housed. They're going to get a voucher. And they're going to receive these type of services. And and today they're speaking to an outreach worker. And then tomorrow they're speaking to another outreach worker from another agency saying the same thing. And then by Friday they had six or seven different outreach workers from different agencies promising the same thing. And then the next week you, they see no workers. So that's discouraging in itself when they're not even receiving the assistance from the agencies that's supposed to be providing the services. I'm a small agency. I'm very small. I'm a small nonprofit agency that goes out every Monday doing outreach on Skid Row, Venice, who's in um, Hollywood on Friday, going out there, listening to the people, hearing their stories, listening to where they're trying to go, listening to what got them there in the first place. So we can sit down and help them strategize and develop a plan to help them get them out of the situation that they put themselves in. It's all about first giving, putting back that accountability on the individual first. Mm -hmm. Then once you do that, that is then building that report of being truthful. If I tell you I'm going to see you next Monday, you're going to see me next Monday because you got to build trust with the people. Then we got to stop being blinded by what's really going on out here. A lot of the homeless agencies is, is about numbers and just putting people in shelters and we shifting people around. We got to stop that. And we got to stop saying that, you know, we got to fall under that housing first model. Meaning that housing is first. Yes, everybody needs to be housed. But if you're mentally ill and you're not taking your medications and you diagnose with bipolar or schizoaffective or schizophrenia, you're not going to be able to manage your household. You're not going to be able to function. You're not going to be able to maintain a job. So you're going to be evicted again and you're going to be homeless. 
we got to meet barriers. If you're sitting here and you have a substance abuse problem, you're an addict and you're on dope, you're not going to pay your rent. You're going to have people in and out of your apartment. You're going to tear the unit up. So now we have them back on the streets, homeless. And then we have the third big bone. We got the landlord now that's upset. Don't want to deal with us or the homeless population because we bring in people to them that is not housing ready. We have to understand that we have to start meeting people at the barriers with real services to meet their realistic needs, period. Then we'll start seeing the change within homelessness. It's no such thing as ending homelessness right now, but what we can do is change the dynamics of it and change the currency of homelessness by providing real services. And that is what my organization do. We go out there and we provide real services. We work with our clients hands-on once they come into this program. We have housing meetings. We do cookouts here. You know, I take the residents out. We do lunch. They come out. They even come out and do outreach with with the staff and I. So it's about empowering people and letting people know just because you down doesn't mean that you always got to stay down. You can always get up, but you got to want it. And that's why I always tell my clients, I'm also, I, I was an outreach worker as well. So I've been doing this for 20 years. So I was an outreach caseworker as well on the streets, on the platforms, on the buses. And like I told my clients, no mindset change, no lifestyle change. So we, the providers, have to give them the necessary tools that's going to edify them to understand the concept of no mindset change, no lifestyle change. We got to give them. We got to give them the meat with the potato. Then we'll start seeing people. We'll start seeing prosperity. We'll start seeing people win. We'll start seeing people going to the next level. Because with me, Jamie, it's all about elevation. It's all about taking that next step forward. It's about paying it forward. If I'm going up and you're ready to go up too, I'm giving you my hand and I'm taking you with me. If you're not ready, I tell clients all the time, if you're only able to give me 10%, I can't help you. But if you give me 30, I'm going to give you 150 and I'm going to go over and beyond for you. So that's where we got to get back to. We got to get back to the basics of being able to be there for people, to really be honest, tell people the truth and go hard for people that really want to change their lives. You brought it home with that answer. Wow. Thank you, Katrina. We definitely need more people like you in this world. And God bless you for the work that you are doing. Where can our readers uh, learn more uh, about your work? Where, like, what, What's your website, your social media? Where can they find all that information? Okay. So our website is www.cfh20201.org. So you can um, go to our web, visit our website, and you'll see all our services. You'll see the the home that we have. You'll see the testimonials from the residents. You also can um, see our events. So we do have a current event coming up on August the 28th, 2021, which is our breakthrough, our second annual breakthrough Healing with Housing event that's going to be on Skid Row. It's going to be big. And... When I say big, I mean blessings increases with growth. 
We're coming down there with real resources to meet our people realistic goals and needs. We're coming to house people. We're coming to refer people to services for people who's ready to get off the street, for people who's ready to change their lives. We're coming, and we're coming with healing. So when I tell you, Jamie, we're coming to rock, because I rock with God all day in that. We're coming, and it's going to be fire. (laughs) Katrina, it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for your work. And you are a blessing on this earth, truly, truly. Um, Just thank you for what you are doing. Thank you so, thank you for having me. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And if you've even glanced at the news, got an alert on your phone, besides updates on COVID, you've probably seen something regarding the infrastructure bill. It is definitely taking over the headlines right now. And I kind of want for this segment to kind of focus in on how this um, historical infrastructure funding deal is going to affect the Black community. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. I have the um, senior advisor to the president, Mr. Cedric Richmond with me. Mr. Richmond, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you today? Doing good. Uh, thank you again so much for joining me. So many questions regarding the infrastructure bill here. Um, I kind of want to start with, we know this was introduced back in March by President Biden. It's been kind of trimmed down at as, as it's kind of making this push, making this way through. Can you kind of give us an update on where we are regarding the, regarding the bill right now? Well, we finally got down to what will amount to about a trillion dollar investment in infrastructure in the country. It's going to do a number of things besides just fix our broken infrastructure. What it's going to do is also uh, create an opportunity for economic development all across our, uh, all across the country. So let, let's just talk about some examples. For example, it'll create somewhere around two million two million jobs a year. Ninety five percent of those jobs will not require a four year degree, and they will um, mostly overwhelming. Most of them will pay prevailing wage or a living wage. So our goal was not only to fix what's broken in the country and then do some do it in an equitable manner, but also create jobs along the way. And so a lot of the things that are in the plan, and we can go into them later, uh, were, were done specifically with racial equity in mind. Um, and two, just just in a general sense here, because I know we're going to break this down a little bit here um, for the infrastructure bill itself. How do you see this as a step towards equality for uh, the black community? Well, in a number of ways. So let's start with it makes the largest investment in our country's history to address legacy pollution. And so that means superfund sites, brownfields, abandoned oil and natural gas wells and uh those primarily and deal with environmental justice. So 26% of black Americans, 29% of Hispanic Americans live within three miles of a Superfund site. And uh, so we do that specifically. Then if you look at the 10 million lead uh, service lines that deliver water to homes, we're gonna remove all 10 million. And those disproportionately affect black and brown uh, communities, the 400,000 that service schools, uh, disproportionately black and brown schools. So we're going to remove those lines also. And so even if you go and you look at um, infrastructure that was done uh, years and years ago, or decades ago, that split communities, um, 
predominantly communities of color in a harmful way. We actually have money in the bill so that uh, those communities, if they decide to, can remove that infrastructure, that railroad track, that highway, that overpass that uh, split the community in a negative way. Uh, if you look at our investment in public transit, um, we know that out of people who take the bus to work uh, or train to work, 31% are Black, 19% are Hispanic. And so we're going to make sure that we modernize it, make it more reliable. And so, you know, the and then if you think about broadband, making sure that every community has accessible broadband and more importantly, or just as important, that they have uh, affordable broadband. We see now with COVID, uh, the difference between the haves, the have nots, or the rich and the poor, or people with uh, internet connectivity and people without. I mean, we're leaving so many kids behind in terms of virtual schooling that didn't have uh, reliable internet access or a smart device. Uh, our goal is to make sure that never happens. And so everything we did in this, we did with a lens of racial equity. Right. And two, I want to piggyback off the racial equity and also talk about black business owners. And you touched a little bit on this, too, what it can mean um, for, for jobs in a black community. But also, I want to add on the fact of business owners that are thinking, OK, well, this tax increase could hurt my business maybe more than it helps. What do you say to people that, that feel that way about the bill? There is no tax increase in this bill. Uh, okay. We pay for this with targeted uh, user fees and that, you know, that on any small business. Uh, the president made a point early on that we would not raise taxes on anybody who, who makes under $400,000. And truth is, we didn't raise taxes at all in this business. We are going to enforce uh, people paying their fair share and those businesses and individuals who use cryptocurrency. So we're not going to um, we're not raising anybody's taxes in this one. Gotcha. And two, I also want to talk about um, what is uh, what to you would be the next step? You know, if the bill passes, I feel like there's still more work to do. You know, it's not just based on this bill. What else can we do? What's the next step? Um, and is that part of President Biden's uh, Build Back Better agenda? Well, if when this bill passes, the the well, not even when it passes, but the next thing we're fighting for is the families plan. So this invests mm -hmm. in the hard infrastructure in the country, the roads, the bridges, the broadband, water airports and seaports and things of that nature. The next bill is going to invest in what we call the human infrastructure in the country. And that is to make sure that we expand the uh, <coughs> that we extend out the child tax credit that is cutting poverty in half this year. And it's the largest tax break for uh, working parents and maybe even in our country's history, but uh, we're gonna do that. We're gonna invest in education. We're gonna add two free years of public education on the front end for three and four year olds to go to school. And then we're gonna add two years of free education on the back end for people to go to community colleges for two years or to HBCUs and minority serving institutions for two years. We're going to invest in uh, the care economy because we still have so many families that are getting sandwiched in where they're taking care of a little one. And at the same time, they're probably taking care of of a uh, parent or so. And so right. it is a big investment into uh, our families and our workforce in terms of apprenticeship programs and all of those things. 
Yeah, I'm just, yeah, especially the education. Like I said, the broadband is very huge. All of this stuff as we're coming in the back uh, back end of the of COVID. So yeah, it's a lot that we're definitely gonna have to keep our eye on and just so many elements that are, are amazing to this infrastructure bill. As I kind of want to shift gears here as we kind of wrap, I want to ask you, um, just speaking of just the amazing career you've had, and I'm just curious for people that need a little extra motivation as we kind of round this out, what keeps you motivated on a daily basis and kind of keeps you pushing and striving? Well, trying to make a difference. And, you know, as corny as it sounds, the one thing I know is every day I know that there's somebody who is busting their butt to just keep a roof over their head, clothes on their back and food on the table and who wake up every day working hard, breaking their back to get it done, both men and women. And they're out there alone. The system's stacked against them. And so we need to make sure that we have a government that helps people, government that rewards hard work, not just wealth. And then, you know, if you think about it also, you have a whole bunch of people who have gotten a bad break in life at some point. And you see them, I see them. Uh, oftentimes they're on a corner or knocking on your window. And we have to be a better country than that. And, and so part of what I look at and, and what keeps me going is, you know, if we work hard enough, we can make a difference. And we have the responsibility to ask why and why is that person in that plight and help them. So whether it's substance abuse, mental health, maybe it's, you know, maybe they just caught a bad break and could never catch up. Right. <clears throat> but whatever it is, um, we got to help. And so there's a movie that really, you know, whenever I need motivation, I just think about that movie. And that movie is The Pursuit of Happiness. And if you oh, think of that yes, movie, Will, Will Smith, no matter how hard his character worked, he just couldn't get that break. So he and his son, as much as they loved each other, they were staying, sleeping in a bus station, sleeping on the bus, sleeping in a homeless shelter when they could get it, sleeping on the street when they had to. And it's not because he wasn't working hard. It's not because he didn't love his son. It's because he couldn't catch a break. And that's what moves me more than anything is to make sure that we make sure people can catch that break. Right. Yeah, we can definitely all we're in that time period where you need to catch a break. We need to help each other. We need to ask questions. And Mr. Richmond, I appreciate you so much for just the, the fight you're putting in and um, what you represent. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. No, thanks for having me. Have me back soon. Oh, yes. I was going to I was going to ask you that next. Yes, please come back. <laughs> all right. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. OK. Bye-bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music and Spotify.